Welcome to Think and Reimagined, produced by Live Abundantly. Live Abundantly is committed to justice, equity, equality, diversity, and inclusion for the creation of a global society which respects the rights and well-being of all citizens. We invite you to visit our website livesabundantly.com to support our initiatives for women, youth and children. Thinking Reimagined, changing the mindset for For a better better global society. Welcome to another episode of the Imagine Podcast. I am Nifemi Yoguntui. Two of kidnapping and abducting for ransom is the order of the day in Nigeria, particularly kidnapping students from school and asking government to pay ransom. The latest we've heard about the Africa students, the last batch, which were 27 of them of the Federal College of Forestry Mechanization, who were recently released by the bandits is that they were sexually molested. The Africa kidnapping, you recall, took place on the 11th of March, 2021, when armed gunmen attacked that particular school in Kaduna. That happened only a few weeks after a similar attack in Jangebe, Zamfara State. Initially, on the 5th of April, we hear from the Kaduna State Government that five of the 39 students abducted were released and recovered by the state government. How that happened, we yet to know. And three days after, the government of Kaduna State also announced that another five students abducted by the bandits were released, leaving 29 more. It's now beyond just having the students released. It's a question of what has happened to them while in the den of their captors and what can, what should we do about it? What What is the impact of all of this trauma on their lives and their education? I'm joined by Executive Director of Live Abundantly, Dr. Ama. Dr. Ama, there's a huge concern about what happens next for these students who have now been released. Yes, they are lucky not to have lost their lives in the den of the bandits, but what would you say uh, are the challenges that they are faced with now, given the latest news that some of them, including males, may have been sexually molested? Um, it is of great concern when anyone is kidnapped, let alone students um, of a university or a higher learning institution who are there to learn, to grow, and to develop their skill sets and uh, get ready for their future. Um, I can only imagine what these students endured during their time in captivity. And I know that at this moment, there's talk about the sexual violence that they may have experienced, but I wonder about the emotional and verbal violence that they may have experienced. And of course, as you can imagine, this is going to have detrimental effects on them in terms of how they trust in terms of if they want to return to school, um, psychologically, physically, emotionally, these children uh, need the attention of um, not just their families, but um, experts in those fields to guide them, to support them 
in regaining their lives and um, carrying on with their learning so that they can be part of the community. I hope that they will be encouraged and supported in sharing their stories and making the authorities aware of it. From what I have heard, um, I believe it was one of the mothers who was speaking, but none of the um, students have actually spoken about their experience. But it is important for that experience to be part of the investigation because when those um, kidnappers uh, brought to, to, to book, those charges should be included as well. So it's no longer just kidnapping, it's kidnapping with um, sexual abuse and all of the other um, aspects of what we're hearing so far. I do say in the next few weeks, months, we will hear more, but it is unfortunate that this has become the mainstay of every day in Nigeria where the insecurity is affecting the most vulnerable of society, which is children, students. They are children, even if they're in university, they are they are children. And um, they're not fully, um, what's the word I'm looking for, participatory adults in, in this society. So it's of great concern. But Dr. Ama, the issue has now gone beyond paying ransom to have the students released. We are now faced with the challenge of what do we do for victims of kidnap like this, especially when they are children, when they are students who will have to return to school. We now have to deal with the trauma that they have faced in the den of the bandits and especially those who have been sexually molested. What do you recommend uh, that stakeholders must do now to help this particular student? Um, Nifemi, that's a fantastic question because on one hand, the students who have fallen victim to the kidnappers need psychological um, support in terms of healing from this experience so that they can trust uh, the community, trust going back to school, even going back to the schools where this occurred. I will not be surprised if many of them change their location and go to different schools but or universities, but we can, we can only imagine what it must feel like to return to the site of that um, experience. You know, I want to bring your attention to the Safe School um, initiative, which was started uh, in 2014, if, my, if, my, if I recall accurately, which really was under the premise of making schools safer. And uh, that question continues, how do we make schools and universities safer what do we do is it about erecting more fences is it about having more security what is it that must be done to ensure that when they do go to these establishments of learning that they're able to learn that they feel safe that they know that they're protected because when you can't guarantee that then how do you even start to educate the, the students within those um, environments. So I really do think that we have to start to look at one, the psychological um, effects of this and have some, uh, some counseling available for these students to help them come to terms with their experience. And then for them to build a sense of trust again, to go back to their schools, trust to be within their community. And then we need to talk about making schools safe. The security 
and safety of our students must be our number one priority right now, regardless of whether they're in primary, secondary or tertiary institutions. We have to make that a priority. And it's the students and their teachers, but also within the community to know that their safety is important, to know that the authorities will step in. I mean, why are we paying ransoms to kidnappers? It makes no sense. It's become a business. Our children have become commodities for making money. And that is not why we have children. And that is not the job of the community or the government. So we have to create greater awareness and talk about these issues as they affect in children. Because my biggest concern is we're going to lose a generation of children who are not educated, who are not fitting in because of the experiences that they they're going through right now and that indeed we have a huge implication on development in this part of the world given or seeing how important education is uh, very central to development at all fronts we're going to touch on the safe school initiative of the federal government in the other half of this podcast but uh, when we talk about schools being safe i think that it's a reflection of safety in society so if the society isn't safe if we don't get the security right at the level of communities, then schools cannot be an exception. So I'm going to ask you about what trended recently on Twitter. It was a comment of a clergyman who mentioned it was an excerpt. So we really cannot tell the context from which he was speaking from. But the clergyman had said, had commented that his wife isn't around and that the wife was uh, fighting the plan B and the fact that everyone in Nigeria must have a plan B given how unserious leadership has become in the areas of um, governance particularly security that we're talking about so uh, Dr. Hammer has lived I believe extensively outside Nigeria and um, you also have returned you come back very often to you know, set up initiatives like Live Abundantly, give back to the society and see what you can do as contributing your quota to the development of this country. How do you react to that mentality of a plan B, especially when it involves checking out of this country? And it is evident in the drive to relocate to places like Canada, to America, almost every Nigerian family has that dream. How do you marry this with the seriousness at home to fix our problems by ourselves? We should all aspire to have a plan B, but the reality is the proportion of Nigeria that can even consider a plan B is minute, right? Um, you have to be of a certain social um, strata to think that there is a plan B for you. And when you look at the situation in these areas where the children are being kidnapped. I don't know that those parents actually have a plan B. What will be their plan B? Move to another town, move to another village, and that village will be attacked because it's it's going on everywhere right now. Whether you're in the north, the south, this kidnapping is going on, it's unsafe. So how realistic is a plan B? 
And your plan B cannot be to bring your children at home and lock your gate, if you do have a gate or lock your door and sit in there. How do you educate these children? If the children do not learn, whether informally, formally, virtually, or uh, you know those little um, school packs that we sometimes give them on during the holidays, how do they become part of the society? A brain drain is not going to help Nigeria. And if all of those people who can take the plan B and leave Nigeria, then what happens to those who were left? Do they have the skill set to continue to govern, manage the, con the country and how do they survive? And when we start talking about a plan B, are we now promoting illegal, irregular migration? Because not everyone can go and apply for a passport or go to the embassies and seek a passport, I'm sorry, a visa. So what is, the, what is the realism behind that statement and to whom is it being addressed? But in life, we should all have a plan B, but is that plan B realistic for the majority of people in this country who are surviving on less than $1 a day? They have to survive in Nigeria. So the question comes back to, what is the government, what is the community doing to ensure safety, to ensure security, to ensure education? If we do not address these issues, there is no future for these children. And these are the children and the people who are doing 80% of the work in this country. It's very troubling. Indeed. Um the, the availability of Plan B to the elite and people who occupy the leadership stratum is also has also been a subject of debate for years. There are some who would say, if everyone who is elected as a government official has their children, you know, in Nigeria, schooling in Nigeria, ensures that with the fall sick, the go to Nigerian hospitals that perhaps um, we're going to get a bit more serious. Do you subscribe to that? I do think so. I, I do believe that the infrastructure issues in Nigeria will have more um, focus, more credence. If, if it affected those in power, if it affected that 1% or 5%, whatever the rating is, who can leave the country with ease, to, for medical treatment or for education. What are we providing over here right now? The, the, the education is not a, a global of a global level. And so you have university graduates who can't think for themselves, who can't think creatively, who can barely write an essay, who can barely complete simple forms um, because the quality of education is not there. And at the same time, you have those who are trying to educate their children to the best of their ability. Um, and then they're dealing with insecurity and the children being kidnapped. And if anything was to happen, they can't even go to hospital. So yes, I agree with you that perhaps it is time for, I, I don't want to say to shut the gates so no one can leave the country and we're all here because that would not be fair for those who can leave. But perhaps it's time for us to start looking at infrastructure in terms of education, in terms of hospitals, in terms of um, jobs, in terms of skills training, in terms of just even looking at the rights of the people to be able to survive and, and to thrive. 
these are the issues that we really must confront right now because if we don't confront them it's not sustainable the way life is in nigeria is not sustainable indeed dr ahmed there are there are genuine concerns about the possibility of uh, of nigeria surviving the second civil war given the way and manner that um, security has deteriorated and there is no time in Nigeria's history that everyone needs to come together across board to start thinking and working towards um, um, objectively and comprehensively um, about the future of our dear country, Nigeria. We'll take a break now. When we return, we'll look at the Safe School Initiative of the federal government, uh, what has been achieved thus far and what needs to be done differently. Stay with us. been listening to thinking reimagined changing the mindset for a better global society in the wake of a kidnapping of over 300 school children in casina uh, there there's a lot of talk about what nigeria has done differently or what has the country experienced aftermath the safe school initiative launched in 2014 which of course attracted millions of dollars from donors um you recall that at some point in time um, there was a 10 million dollars fund pledged by the coalition of nigerian business leaders working with the united nations special envoy for global education and uh, there were quite a number of um, monies um, that have reportedly been pumped into this project and the idea was to allow the most at-risk students hit hardest by Boko Haram's um, terrorist activities to enroll in federal schools. Uh, there were also plans to relocate some of them, provide funds to enable uh, their parents to be able to visit their sons and their daughters. In broader terms, uh, the Safe School Initiative entails a combination of transfer of secondary students to other states support education in IDPs, pilot safe school models, including community mobilization, amongst quite a number of other things. So in um, for the period ending sometime December 2019, we're told that um, over a million dollars have been donated uh, and that over close to $2 million have been spent. Dr. Ama, is it a situation where money is in the problem for insecurity in Nigeria because um, on one hand the armed forces will tell you that they're ill-equipped they're they are not well funded on the other hand you see a lot of money being pumped into this area but very very little progress is being achieved what are your thoughts about this um, Nifemin, I, I wanted to go back to some of the information that you shared. It is my understanding that the Safe School Initiative, which was correctly, as you stated, founded in 2014, it, it involved the Nigerian government. It was um, it involved Gordon Brown, who was the UN Special Envoy for um, Global Education. Um, and it was launched by the World Economic Forum on Africa. Um, $30 million is the number that we are told. And um, 
it has not been disputed that $30 million was allocated. It had been, that, that was the fund, was $30 million. Um, as of February this year, uh, the Senate had uh, commented that they were going to have uh, an investigation into the 20 million. That's a lot more than you just stated. So we know, or we're being told that 20 million was actually um, in this country that was allocated and that was handed out for projects, so to speak. Indeed. What we know- I only get the figure for just one, one year. The, the, the $2 million I gave was only for 2018 thereabout. So I understand the accumulation of figures you're talking about from 2014. Very accurate, Dr. Amma. Please go ahead. Yes. Now, from my understanding is that they had identified 500 schools that were going to be the initial pilot. Sorry, there were 500 schools that were um, identified, but 30 of them were going to be the initial pilot. Some of it was going to be, as you stated, moving children to quote unquote safe zones. Um, in the IDPs, they were going to have free prefabricated classrooms that they were going to then go back and restructure the classrooms like the one where the students were kidnapped in Chibok and Dapchi, I believe those are the names of the places, and reinforce them, um, put proper structures there, have laboratories and all of those things. The whole goal was to prevent future attacks in this area. They were also going to look into hiring teachers and um, professional development for the teachers. The reality is um, when I tried to pull up the report on what was done in the first, beyond the first year and a half or two, access is denied. So I can't even tell you what was actually achieved other than within the first two years, 2,400 students were moved to IDPs. They weren't meant to stay in the IDPs forever. It was supposed to be a temporary situation until they go back to their schools. In the meantime, um, there is some construction that has occurred, but if you actually go and look at the photographs that are available, not much was really done. I, I am yet to see a full construction um, or security post or laboratories. I mean, it's dismal what was done um, with the so-called fundings. I mean, even if you only spent a million Naira, you would expect to see a lot more. So I like you and everyone else, I would love this investigation to come to fruition. Let's hear and see what they've done with the money. And if the Senate says 20 million, they probably know exactly how much has been received and um, dispensed. And we want to know, what have you done with this money? Because the situation right now does not lend itself to um, accountability. And accountability is one of the issues that we that I find prevalent in Nigeria. Projects and contracts are awarded, but there is no accountability. And it's important for international agencies to demand accountability and actually go and go and see it and make sure that what you paid for, what you requested has been done. Otherwise, why do we continue to get all this funding and nothing has improved? Indeed. So fighting, fighting insecurity has become a money gulping venture in Nigeria. On a yearly basis, we spend a huge portion of our um, budget on the armed forces and on issues 
that border around security. What do you make of the willpower on the part of leadership to execute these projects? Because um, they, on a daily basis, the feedback from the citizenry is such that has lost confidence in the ability of leadership to solve these problems. Well, um, I can't blame the citizenry for feeling that way because if you cannot see positive outcome for the monies that are apparently pledged for projects and you don't feel safe and you're struggling to survive in this current economic situation, yes, you will lose um, confidence in, in the leadership. Uh, and yet at the same time, we have to go back to the community and say, let's look at the community and start to build support within the community to, to help those who want to thrive, who want to grow, who want to learn. But what comes to them in terms of the support that they receive? I think it's a top heavy kind of situation. You know, their initiatives, their contracts, their projects, there's much fanfare, but there is no follow through at the end of the day. So reporting is going to be necessary as well as accountability is going to be necessary. And I think much monies are spent in areas that um, look good and, and give the sense of security, but perhaps we should start looking at the community and states, should start looking at making sure that education, health, dealing with the issue of poverty, those are very critical issues. Those are the things that make people feel that they belong in a community, that they belong in that society and their needs and their aspirations are valued. If you don't feel valued, then you don't feel like you're part of the community. We have to go now, Dr. Amma. I want you to emphasize the role that the citizenry must play in all of this. We're looking at a situation where if the society isn't safe, there is no way we can make our schools, you know, safe if we don't get things right, you know, generally. It's 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 a very terrible situation to be in. You you talked about the economic challenges. There's also the distrust that now currently exists between Nigerian um, citizens, uh, its leaders, and the security agencies. But there still has to be um the the role of the citizen in all of these how can we act differently in such a way that we take responsibility for the outcomes of our lives in this country so my response to that Nifemi, is going to be such that first we have to start by understanding what our rights are our rights as citizens our rights as children we are all entitled to be in a safe society where we can grow and thrive, develop to our fullest extent. If that is one of our basic rights, then when things are not working, we must speak up. So raising awareness about these issues and pushing it to the forefront where everyone, everyone is aware of what's going on and everyone starts to proactively look for solutions. That is very important. On top of that, we have to make education imperative. If we don't have education, we cannot 
lead the change that is necessary in this country. So when I speak of education, I'm speaking of formal and informal ed education, acquiring skills, looking for opportunities where you can teach your children at home, because as you know, 600 schools are closed in Northern Nigeria at this current moment. They can't go to school, but they still need to learn because they have to be part of the community. They have to be contributing members of society. So making that imperative is important. And we have to start demanding that security and safety is, is a priority. If I go to work, if I go to school, I must know that I can come home safely and vice versa. That is critical right now. We don't have it. People are very concerned about those basic fundamental rights and it has to be the hot topic it must be the subject of discussion and people have to speak up people tend not to speak up they're waiting for the better day the better day does not occur if you don't take action and if you don't demand solutions although if we don't do that we continue to live in this society where kidnappers are reigning and they'll just go to another school and kidnap children and ask for ransom and then the ransom is paid and the cycle continues we have to break that cycle and now is the time to break that cycle and those that have been arrested well justice must reign but i also want the children who've been affected to speak up because when you get your story out there people have a clearer idea of the impact and how we can affect not just individuals, but their families and the community. Know your rights, rise to your feet, make demands. Don't just watch things happen. All of us do have the responsibility to make Nigeria a better place for our children. Dr. Ahmed, thank you so much for your thoughts. A big thank you to Live Abundantly and the Thinking Reimagined crew. That's our show for this episode. I am Nifemi Oguntoye. God bless the Federal Republic of Nigeria. Thank you for listening to Thinking Reimagined. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast and welcome your comments, insights, and learnings as we strive to transform our global society. A change in mindset, engagement, collaboration, dialogue, awareness, and education. Thinking Reimagined. Changing the mindset for a better global society. society.